Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we are bringing you a Season 3.0 Prepper. Wow, it's Mr. Robot time again. (laughs) Oh my god. So I think it's important we do a Prepper. One, because since last we've done Mr. Robot, we've gone over Westworld, Sherlock, The Magicians. Game of Thrones. And our minds have gone to many different places. So when we knew this was coming up again, I actually felt intimidated. I was like, oh my God, I don't think I'm ready for this. There's so much that happened that I don't remember the details. So we did our best. We tried to listen to past episodes. We tried to look at our notes. There's so much that went down that it's impossible to go over in this one episode. I can tell you right now, I've forgotten more than I remember about season two. And I think mostly everybody has. So what we want to do with this episode is kind of give you a nice layer of info to get you started in this race of 3.0. Into what Christian Slater himself is going to be an all-out rampage on your mind. (laughs) And I don't doubt it. We're going to go over some past important moments of season two. We're going to talk about a lot of the theories that are out there. We won't get too deep into it. We'll let you know if there's a particular theory that we know for sure we went deep into and what episode that was in for you to listen back to it. We did a lot of our predictions and theorizing in the season two bonus episode. So if you're looking for more of a deep dive into that, I definitely recommend listening to that episode because it was also right after the season ended. Everything was still fresh in our minds and we had a lot of postulating going on there. Before we go any further, I want to say hello again to the Clatchers. We went on a little month hiatus since Game of Thrones was out. If you're not a Patreon member, you haven't heard our voice since then. So welcome back. And if you're new to the CKC Nation, we welcome you. Thanks for joining the crew. All right, Jason. So let's jump right in and talk about the important moments of season two. If it's been a while since you've refreshed, this is what you need to know going into season three. And we're going to break it up by character. I think that's the easiest way to go about it. Beginning with Elliot and Mr. Robot. So Elliot went off the grid. In season two, we opened up with him claiming he was living with his mother in an attempt to maintain a routine that would weaken Mr. Robot's influence. But we found out later he was lying to us. Things were not all as they seemed. And he'd actually been in prison for hacking his therapist Krista's ex-boyfriend. He was still searching for answers to what happened to Tyrell throughout season two and got mixed up with Ray along the way, who recruited him as a cyber engineer for his own sinister purposes though Elliot secretly used that opportunity to hack the FBI. Elliot also discovered Mr. Robot had been taking over while he slept. This was a big point throughout the season, using his mind-awake, body-asleep techniques to figure out what Mr. Robot was up to, and much of the time centered around him trying to wrestle back control from Mr. Robot. So it's interesting, Sam Esmail, in describing the show, once said he thought it had stages. Season one represented Elliot's journey or realization of who is Mr. Robot? How does this tie into his world? Season two was about the battle, the discovery that it wasn't possible to destroy Mr. Robot. You saw a lot of those scenes going on where they were playing chess together, symbolically fighting for control. And season three, he describes as the next stage, 
the disintegration. What does it look like now that these two are completely not on the same page, truly split apart for the first time? Diving back into Mr. Robot, I forgot how much of a genius Sam Esmail is (laughs) and how much of a ride he puts us on mentally. We often said in our Mr. Robot podcast how mentally drained we would feel after an episode. I immediately felt that drain when I was trying to re-remember everything that happened. And it's a good drain. It's not like a miserable drain. It's just that Esmel's brain has so many things going on and he melds so much of it into an episode. There's so many metaphors. There's so many callbacks to shows of our age. Easter eggs. Easter eggs. Uh, It's just brilliantly done. And I'm really excited for season 3.0. Yeah, everything means something, right? And especially going into season two, Esmail's always had a lot of creative control over the show. But season two, he wrote, directed, produced. I mean, what did he not do? And I found myself in trying to explain this show to people who had never watched before and had heard it was coming back on air and they were going back and binge watching season one. I didn't know how to describe it to them without doing an hour long synopsis. So I just said, all right, why don't you check out our season preppers and, and see if that helps a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the name doesn't help either. And we have talked about this in the past. Now that we know the show, Mr. Robot is a perfect name for the show. But someone that doesn't know anything about it, they ask me, what is it? Is it about like robots? Well, is it perfect though? Because that's still an outstanding question of how is that going to wind up tying back in later? If you look at all of their social media, it's not called Mr. Robot. Everything says, who is Mr. Robot Mm. on their Twitter or their Facebook. So yeah, that was something we didn't know in season one, how is Elliot tied into this person? And we find out later it's actually an alter of his own personality. But are there still questions to be answered where that's concerned? And I think part of what keeps us confused is the nature of what's happening in Elliot's mind. What we see on screen, he is the quintessential unreliable narrator, right? And that really came to a head in this season. We saw him fighting with Mr. Robot at one point, even getting shot by him earlier on. And we couldn't tell if it was real until a few moments in. So this makes us question the very ending scene between Elliot Tyrell and Mr. Robot where Tyrell shoots him this time. Just as a quick refresher, this was a really powerful scene. Mr. Robot starts out by telling him, that's what you asked me here for. This is when we get in trouble. You're meant to know only as much as you can handle. When you wander outside of your realm is when we start fighting. And that's when Elliot realizes Robot's been distracting him from what Tyrell is quietly doing in the background, and that's hacking the firm. Elliot starts to rebel, saying he's going to delete all the malware, get rid of the back door, shut it down. But Tyrell says he will ruin everything, and Robot tells him to leave the computer alone. (laughs) Trust me, we won't let you do this. Tyrell then gets the gun, points it at Elliot, and tells him, we were supposed to be gods together, and now you want to destroy our destiny. So that was also a huge looming question for season two. What happened to Tyrell? And Elliot was trying to figure that out the whole time, asking Mr. Robot. He wouldn't give him the truth. Up until the very end of this scene, Elliot thinks this is a manifestation of his mind. And so did fans of the show. He even says, you're the same, meaning the same as Mr. Robot. Another of his mind tricks. Tyrell's not holding the gun. He's not even here. He can't shoot me. He doesn't exist. I'm the only one that exists, and it's time to finally take back control. But then Tyrell shoots him, seemingly really shoots him, and there's real blood coming out of his body, and he collapses to the floor. In listening to our last episodes of last season, 
I did talk about how beautiful that scene was. And I just want to reiterate how beautiful that scene was. So well done. Mr. Robot with the way he's fading out. Sorry, kid. Ugh. He's flickering yeah. after Elliot gets shot. Just to keep you in confusion a little further. And the beautiful shots. But here's the thing. Some people counted that out as, okay, so Tyrell is real. But I still never believe anything. And here we are again. You say real blood. Yeah, maybe it's real blood in his brain. Well, it looked like real blood when Mr. Robot shot him earlier on in the season. And that's why I bring that up. Because it seemed real to him. That's how he was viewing it in the moment. We found out later this was just an internal struggle against an altar of himself. Now, what makes that a difficult theory to put forth is that Tyrell seems to be a real person living in the world who has actions. I mean, the FBI has him on their board. They know about him as a separate entity. So how could he just be another manifestation of Elliot's mind? But maybe Tyrell is real. He's just not really here in the moment. Elliot is picturing this. Or as we had speculated, maybe these events were actually in the past and took place in the three days that Elliot had forgotten about when he right. blacked out and Mr. Robot took control. So I think those are all still questions moving into season three. Of course. And then there's the last one that Tyrell was real. He's dead. And Elliot has integrated Tyrell into one of his personas. Mm. But here's the deal. And we're already doing it. <laughs> we have had some clatters say, you know, we love your podcast. We love Game of Thrones, I'm listening to Mr. Robot, and I'm actually more confused sometimes after listening to you guys. And I do see why you would say that. But this is part of the fun. There is, especially with this show, there's so many theories, there's so many other ways that it could happen. The difficult job that we have is, I don't want to leave out any theories, because what if that ends up being the right one? And also, they all kind of feel right to me. <laughs> well, the show... Sam Esmail encourages you to think about these things. It's intentionally complex and confusing. For the better portion of season two, we were not in Elliot's mother's house watching him get rehabilitated. We actually were in a prison. So reality was not what we thought it was. That makes us wonder moving forward, which reality do we trust? And with Elliot as that unreliable narrator, you can never really be sure. A lot of this is his internal struggle. And I think they've done a brilliant job depicting the psychological problems that he suffers from. And what does that look like on screen? Because we're seeing it from Elliot's perspective. But if you want to just keep it very simple, what we get in a concrete way given to us is that Elliot is shot. And at the end of the scene, Tyrell calls Angela. He's upset. He's sobbing. He tells her she's got to see Elliot. Yeah. But here's the next thing, which we don't have an answer for. We didn't know Angela knew anything that was going on with Elliot this season, pretty much. There wasn't that many interactions. How come all of a sudden she's in the loop and she seems prepared for this phone call? Right, which does make us feel like maybe there was a little bit of a time lapse there. There was some time that we're not seeing because of what happened to Elliot. But if Angela is able to talk to him, that does suggest he's a real person. He's in on this. Something has actually happened to Elliot. And Angela has definitely been more involved than she's letting on. And that's a question we're going to get to in just a minute. What are her motivations and what is she really doing behind the scenes? But let's break from that for a second and move on to Darlene and F Society. F Society was a huge part of season one and, and sort of had to take a back seat to Elliot's journey. And the entire time season two, Darlene was trying to lead them in Elliot's absence. As a group, they blackmailed Scott Knowles 
early on into publicly burning the $5.9 million, and then went on to hack the smart home of Susan Jacobs, E-Corp general counsel, Darlene herself later killing her. Darlene reunited with her ex slash dark army liaison, Cisco. They found out Romero was indeed shot by a neighbor. This was just an accident and not the dark army hunting them all down as Trenton Mobley feared. And by the end, Darlene is being held captive by FBI agent Dom, who's trying to squeeze information about Elliot out of her. Let's not forget, the end of season one is when we saw Elliot try to kiss Darlene. <laughs> this is when we learned that Darlene was in fact his sister, and that he's done this multiple times, where his brain kind of forgets that part. And I thought that was so, it's another one of those twists and turns. Season one really made us say, look both ways, and then look both ways again, and then see if you can cross the street because there's probably another thing coming. And don't trust anything. Well, (laughs) that's what I really liked about season two was them going into the backstory further about Elliot and Darlene, what their childhood was like. Even that brings up more questions than it answers, but we do learn about Elliot's complex relationship with his father. And for the first time, we get a deeper glimpse into Darlene's childhood. And this traumatic experience where she was kidnapped and held by a woman, though she didn't see it that way. Mm. And she was actually happy to have this experience. There's so much going on there that we still don't know. What really happened to them throughout their childhood? Why doesn't Elliot remember Darlene? The psychological nature of this show, one, is really good for the CKC podcast because of Christina's background in psychology. But also, two, Sam Esmel always uses reality or the real world as the foundation for all of his narratives in the show. Something as fun as Alf, the old TV show, or Mm. Back to the Future. And then this, Elliot, and the way he keeps forgetting that Darlene is his sister. This is something that a lot of people do. They've had so much pain. One, their brain actually legit splits, and they have multiple personalities. But also... Something that I do often, but not to that extreme, is things that are painful to think about, you suppress it yeah. and you forget about it or you try not to think about it. In Elliot's case, you legit forget about it, you erase it. Well, and that's why this is difficult to follow because this is what reality is like for most of us, right? It's not these series of concrete, easily explainable events. A lot of it is how we interpret things, the way we understand events to have happened. I mean, two people witness the same event the same series of things happening and come away with different recollections of how that occurred. And that's the perspective he's giving to us. Add on to that somebody who's suffering from a mental illness as your primary character and then whoever we are as Elliot's friend, because that's still a little bit of an ongoing question when he always turns to us as the viewer and encourages us to come along on this journey with him and bear witness. Oh yeah, that's one of the special qualities of the show. We're not just... He doesn't just break the fourth wall. We are part of this journey to the point where he's even mad at us and he won't talk to us and he's hiding things from us because he doesn't trust us anymore. Mm -hmm. And we're dependent upon what he decides to share with us. That's the information we get. And so we have to work with everything, taking it with a grain of salt. But coming back to Darlene, we wind up with that last scene of her finding out exactly how much Dom knows which is a lot more than we thought. We get that glimpse at the FBI evidence board with all the major characters pinned up and how they connect to each other. 
We see that what they don't know is about White Rose. She isn't anywhere on that FBI board, at least that we can see. They also believe Tyrell is at the center of everything. They put him as the middle circle, not Elliot. So there still are some flaws in that plan, but Dominique DiPiero is getting a lot closer than we had imagined earlier on. So her journey started out with finding Romero dead and gaining the clues from that scene that led her to the arcade where she found the infamous bullet casing. She was tracking down F Society and Dark Army members throughout the season, trying to figure out what united them, while also running into resistance from the Bureau and her boss, Agent Santiago. And after a shootout, two shootouts occurred this season, she was told to drop the investigation because the U.S. government couldn't afford a break in their relationship with China. She also had some interesting interactions with White Rose. So there's so much we could say about White Rose. She's a very complicated character, and she keeps a lot close to her chest, so it's hard to really figure out. Even at the end of season two, we don't know exactly what she's planning. We know she's in cahoots with the Dark Army in some way. She wants to keep the Washington Township plant secrets, and that's something that is really a big lingering question. What exactly happened at the Washington Township plant? It seems like the only people that know about that are Philip Price, who's trying to cover something up as far as it concerns E-Corp, and White Rose. We know that both Elliot and Angela's parents became very sick and ended up dying due to that. But how does that work its way back to our characters now? Does it still have an influence on, say, maybe Elliot and Angela's journey? And what is White Rose hoping to get out of all of this? Yeah, and if you remember that scene when White Rose was at the graveyard and we found out that White Rose was the one behind the death of Elliot's father? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That was never answered. There's so much to learn and hopefully season 3.0 will answer some questions because we know they're going to raise more questions. Well, and I love that complicated relationship that continues to exist between White Rose and Philip Price. Or should I say when they're relating as Chinese Minister of State Security because that's who Philip Price is talking to. There's a lot going on behind the scenes there, too. E-Corp has instituted bank withdrawal rationing in season two. We see it's infuriated the public. Society was near collapse. There's constant brownouts, trash piling up in the streets. It's just a nightmare. Price has been negotiating with Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, who he coerces into letting E-Corp use its digital currency, E-Coin. And this is all thanks to the Chinese government bailing out E-Corp with a $2 trillion loan. I'm fighting right now to not talk too much about every single person. We could probably have an episode for every single person. Yeah. There's so many things here. E-Coin. Sam Asmel is hearkening on the fact that in the real world, cryptocurrency is actually becoming a very popular commodity. And it's very volatile right now. If we invested into Bitcoin like two years ago, when one bit was like 20 bucks or something, now it's like... $5,000, we would have been rich. But, and I did listen to like a podcast with Joe Rogan about it, but I was too scared. I didn't know enough about it. And now it's almost too late. And we've seen it go down and up, down and up. It's just like stocks. And it's actually pretty scary to me. And the fact that real money, cash, is becoming less and less used. Mm -hmm. People use credit cards all the time. And now with Apple Pay and Google's payment system, becoming obsolete. And even some stores this year is going to not accept cash. So this is something where the real world is actually going this route. The reason why I bring that all up 
is because, again, Sam Esmail has his heart on the pulse of the real world. That's another impact that this show has on us. Then we talk about the loan, the $2 trillion loan. If you remember, during Obama's era, the banks had to be bailed out, and it was very similar to this. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because Esmail has told us that in this alternate world of Mr. Robot, Obama is president. It's supposed to roughly relate to some real events. And he said regarding season three, the show will not quote unquote enter our Trump nightmare, but he will (laughs) reference it. Okay. And we'll come back to that with a little teaser script that we have for season three later. And what's funny is we kind of live, it's not really cryptocurrency, but you and I, our podcast makes money off of not real cash. If you are a member of our Patreon page, where we do give you bonus content and our Clatchers give us some money to help pay for bandwidth costs, they're paying us in PayPal. It's numbers on a screen going back and forth, which, as you said, is the way the trend has been going for quite some time. If you look back to the history of how we pay for things, started very, very early on with a barter system. And you had to have goods that were equal in value in order to be able to trade for something else you needed. Then it started to become gold, precious metals, gems. When we started to institute a coin or cash currency, there still had to be something of that value backing it up. So $1 would equal $1 in gold gold or whatever else you had to back that up. Over time, that became less and less prevalent. The dollar didn't have as much meaning as it used to before. Well, they no longer had the gold to back because, it up. Exactly. They didn't have the backing. And that's where they introduced In God We Trust. <laughs> because this dollar does not mean a dollar in the federal trade of gold. And so when that starts meaning less, of course, why don't you just go to numbers on a screen somewhere that equates to how you're trading back and forth. You're trading in fantasy yeah. now instead of reality. And we've been for a while. My day job, I do direct deposit. I never even see a piece of paper representing the numbers. I think a lot of people do. So that's ones and zeros. I'm saying every two weeks, yes, transport those ones and zeros to this bank who is adding up my ones and zeros. And every so often, I'm allowed to take out a few of those ones and zeros into paper. And how carefully are you even watching that if there was a change in that? You know, it's scary. And these are the fears. This is the reality of what's happening. And Esmail does that constantly. He pulls from that real life and introduces it into this world. So again, those are topics we talked more about throughout the season two coverage. If you're interested to go back and listen, I know it's hard to kind of get to everything and sum it up in one episode. But I want to move on to another character who was interesting, confusing, left a lot of questions for us. I'm talking about Angela who spent the first half of season two continuing to climb the corporate ladder at E-Corp after taking a PR position there, seemingly to find out information against them. That's what we thought for a while. She was then reluctantly roped into helping Darlene to hack their servers. After this, she got herself moved to risk management within the company to steal information about the Washington Township poisoning that killed her mom and Elliot's dad. She planned to turn her information into the government, but was then kidnapped by the Dark Army and brought to White Rose, who seemed to bring her over to their mission and their way of thinking, though we don't really know what that means. So it is difficult to read her at any given time. Whose side is she on? What does she really stand for? And in season two, it was, for me at least, difficult to like her. I think because of that, right? You're always wondering, is, is 
she trying to help Elliot? Is she really just out to avenge what happened to her mother? She seems very brainwashed into White Rose's mission by the end, but is that good or bad? We're not sure. And Esmail himself says, you can never quite read her. Portia Doubleday does it in such exquisite fashion that we played up the notion she's a character riding the middle. On the one hand, you could feel that she's flipped and turned to Ecorp. On the other hand, it seems she's trying to bring them down. We played with that the whole season, and our assumption by the end was she's siding with the Dark Army. But is she really with them? It's a dynamic we will continue to play with next season. So that doesn't tell us much at all. And that brings us finally to Tyrell. We mentioned before, after being missing all season, we learned he was helping the Dark Army and Mr. Robot to orchestrate an attack on Ecorp. One of the confusions we had all of season two is why all of a sudden is he on our team? Why all of a sudden is he F society? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? And to that, we didn't really get an answer. Well, because the relationship seemingly had been established primarily between Mr. Robot and Tyrell, not Elliot and Tyrell. And Elliot, in fact, was in the dark about a lot of this. So that was really cool in the end of the season where we got those parallel scenes and we got to see the way Tyrell remembers it, the way Mr. Robot remembers it. And Esmail said it was important to keep Tyrell out of season two so Elliot could have this journey separately with Robot. When he comes back, it blows up the whole thing. Whether Mr. Robot lied to Elliot or withheld it from him, the show becomes about that and the plot machinations and not what Elliot's emotionally going through in terms of his disorder. So that makes a lot of sense. That would immediately thrust us forward into our plot movements. They had to wait and hold him back from us so that that wouldn't happen until the end of season two. Do you dream, Elliot? You scraping so hard like you ain't never asked yourself this before. I said, do you want to be here right now? And I don't mean like here, here. I mean here in a cosmic sense, bro. Like, existence could be beautiful or it could be ugly. But that's on you. How do I know which one's for me? Dream. You gotta find out the future you're fighting for. Sometimes you gotta close your eyes and really envision that shit, bro. If you like it, then it's beautiful. If you don't, then you might as well fade the f*** out right now. Now, season two did very well. Although, on an episode-per-episode basis, we did keep track of how many people were watching and the grades, and it seemed to decline from season one. Critical responses from the popular Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic kind of shows that, but again, it's not based off of that many people reviewing. So season one, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 98%, next to perfect, and Metacritic gave it 79%. Don't know what they were watching. (laughs) But then season two, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 94%, but Metacritic went up to 81%. Yes, but the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was lower for season two. It was only an 88%. And I think it, it shows it struggling a little bit in the first couple episodes. So if you look at IMDb, they gave episode one 8.8, two a 9, three a 9.1, four a 9.1. And then at episode five, it really started to pick up 9.7s and, and fairly high in the nines. And our ratings kind of reflected that as well. A little bit of stumbling early on and then picking up as the season went forward. Which is understandable. 
One, Sam Asmel went for a completely different feel for season two, and that was on purpose. So with that being said, he had to not just reestablish what's going on and create the new narrative, he had to do it in a different manner. So we were probably even more confused and more discouraged in our confusion the first couple of episodes. Well, especially as he himself says, season one was a lot more plot driven, whereas season two, we dive into the character analysis and a lot of the psychological struggle between Elliot and Mr. Robot, which I actually really enjoyed, but it left me feeling a little lost in the weeds at times. Like I didn't, I had more questions than answered and I was just scared by the end, it wouldn't fully wrap it up. And I think that's why... I was high all the way until the last episode, and then I was a little low again because I felt it didn't kind of totally wrap it up for me, and the Rotten Tomatoes rating showed the same thing. Its lowest episode was episode 12, the finale. That's insane. What's funny is that I oftentimes see the best in everything. I'm less critical, and you tend to be a little more critical, and that's what makes a good podcast. Yeah, and we alternated back and forth, so your episode 12 is the highest. But if you look at our overall ratings, right, for season two, I was at a 9.2, and you were at a 9.1, if you average out the entire season. That means I bullshit. <laughs> so, whereas it looked you like... You say what you feel, and I bullshit. Whereas it looked like I was getting really hard on it, we wound up kind of at the same place at the end of the day, and I think it's a good representation of season two as a whole. I think this was, and it, it doesn't matter, I'm bringing this up because it's funny to me. This is when we got a few reviews saying that they hated how critical you were, and they thought you were a bitch. Oh, yeah. Those were fun times. I thought it was funny. It was just because, like, it, to me, it felt like, how can a woman have such an opinion and be negative about something, that makes her a bitch, not critical. Yeah, it wasn't as funny for me, but <laughs> now True. that some time has passed... I'm saying now that we can look back at yeah, it. Yeah, I'm over it. I'm good. I'm excited to move forward into season three. And overall, as we said, it was it was a really good season two. And I think not just the ratings, but the awards as well reflect that. Hell yeah. Do you remember when Elliot won? Please tell me you're seeing this too. Oh, my God. Thank you. What an amazing speech he gave. I hope you guys are seeing this, too, or something like that. (laughs) Oh, God, I still get tingles from that. They've had many nominees, and just to name a few, from the Golden Globes, Best Actor, Television Series Drama, Rami Malek, Best Supporting Actor, Christian Slater, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Drama Series, Rami Malek. 53rd Cinema Audio Society Awards. Outstanding Achievement in Sound Mixing for Television Series, One Hour. 67th Ace Eddie Awards. Best Edited One Hour Series for Commercial Television. I say hell yeah to that. I don't know if you remember, they even had commercials where you thought it was a real commercial, but it was actually Sam Asmel doing like a It was a Mr. Funny, Robot quote. Yeah, or, or 80s or 1990s commercial mm-hmm. just randomly in there. It was fun. Yep. Satellite Awards, Best Drama Series, Best Actor in Drama Series. So that's Rami Malek again. Oh, I'm sorry. Satellite Awards had Best Supporting Actor for Christian Slater as well. Boom. I told you I'm going to miss some of them. There's so many. Saturn Awards, Best Action, Thriller, Television Series. 2017 MTV Awards, NTV Awards. Best Fight Against the System. Did you say Critics' Choice Awards? Because they had some for there as well. Best Drama Series, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actor. And then the Emmys, Outstanding Guest Actor in a Drama Series, B.D. Wong, and I agree. 
and he is no longer a guest actor, but we'll get to that later. Outstanding cinematography for a single camera series. Original creative achievement in interactive media within a scripted program. That's the Mr. Robot virtual reality experience. Mm -hmm. Remember that? And then outstanding sound mixing for a comedy or drama series. And for sure, I'm missing a bunch more. Yeah, music composition as well for Matt Quayle. This show is kicking ass, and it's on USA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not Netflix. It's not HBO, Showtime, USA. So before we get into season 3.0, let's talk about the questions we're left with for season 2.0. This is what we had coming out of our season 2 bonus. Number one, what does all of this mean for F Society? Will Mr. Robot take total control in season 3 and we won't see much of Elliot? Similar to in season 2... It was a lot of Elliot trying to wrest the control back from Mr. Robot. So will we just flip-flop that for season three? As we said before, what is the real driving force of Elliot? What exactly happened in his past? Why does he forget his sister, Darlene? And how do both his and Angela's parents figure into that history? What secrets are hidden at the Washington Township plant? Whose side is Angela really on? What is White Rose's master plan? Will E-Corp continue to stay a step ahead, or will wiping out the paper records take them down? And either way, what does the future of America look like? Also, to add on to the will E-Corp continue to stay a step ahead, your question to that last season was, why are they bringing all the paper records into one building? (laughs) Yeah, why isn't that spread out over several areas? That was kind of silly. And finally, does F Society have their own plan for rebuilding? Does one of Elliot's personalities have the plan? Yeah, it seems like they all have pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Mr. Robot certainly seems to know an awful lot about stage two. So that's a lot of questions, very few answers right now, but there are a few things that we do know about season three. So in general, as we said before, season two is more cerebral and character driven. Esmail has told us season three will be more plot driven. We know Elliot will survive the gunshot wound. Esmail said at the end of the day, I don't think anyone would have been surprised that Elliot's going to return in season three. Honestly, the bigger cliffhanger for me, if you want to call it that, is Angela's involvement and her complicity in all this. Yes. That's the question mark I wanted to leave for the audience. And that is one question mark that stayed with me throughout this year. We also know a little about the characters, who's going to be returning. We have a few new people. Very excited for this. Yeah, we talked about this in an earlier episode, but it's worth mentioning again. Rizwan Manji. No, we talked about this during the Magicians episode. Yeah, but also in our uh, touch base on where all our shows are oh, at. Oh, that's right. Uh, episode updates. This is the actor who was in The Wolf of Wall Street, Transformers, and yes, The Magicians. One of the shows we do have a podcast for. In Mr. Robot, he's going to be playing the FBI partner of Dom, helping with the investigation of the 5-9 hack. You also are going to see the appearance of Bobby Cannavale. Love this actor. You know him from Boardwalk Empire, Vinyl... He's going to play Irving, a no-nonsense used car salesman. Uh, How that fits into the Mr. Robot universe is as yet unknown. Bobby Cannavale is one of those actors who is a chameleon to me. He's never been high on the radar of everybody, but he's always been there. He's done comedies. He's done dramas. He's Mm -hmm. been a badass. He's been a softie. Yep. I loved him in Ant-Man. He played the cop in Ant-Man, um the husband to Paul Rudd's ex-wife. Yeah. He's been in so many movies, and I think all he's going to do in this show is just up it even more. Now we have another badass. Without me knowing anything, I know one of the questions is going to be, whose side is he really on? Well, and how does a used car salesman fit into that? You know, that's a weird question. 
And then, of course, we also have B.D. Wong is now officially a full-time actor on this show, no longer guest actor, which means more White Rose and more dinosaurs. <laughs> there was more of him in season two. I'm surprised that it stayed the same. But yeah, all of the main characters, so far as we know, will be returning. We also know we're going to get Krista, Elliot's therapist, coming back because there was a small teaser scene script released that takes place in the psychologist's office. It says it opens up with Elliot sitting across from Krista and then Krista saying, I asked you this question before, but you never responded. I'd like it if you answered this time. What is it about society that disappoints you so much? Elliot says, oh, that's easy. Donald Trump was just elected president of the United States. (laughs) Krista thinks for a second, then nods. Good point. But that's a great question. I hope they get around to that in their therapy sessions at the heart of what Elliot believes is the problem and how he hopes to see the future. Not just things are wrong, it's broken, let's take it down, but what do you imagine happening instead? You know, I'd really like to hear some more from his perspective about that. But it'll be good to see her back on scene. I really like their interactions together. He made me shoot him. He kept saying I wasn't real. It was almost as if he were a different person. You're right. He sometimes can become a different person. You're awake. What am I doing here? You don't remember. Dark Army turned on us. I think I'm next. Stage two is never called off. It was him. Five nine. F society. I am the architect. Still have plenty of work to do. I can stop this. No, no, no. You pull the ripcord now. They will have won. World catastrophes like this, they occur because men like me allow them. Something is happening. It could be big. This is going to mark the end of E-Corp. This is your moment. You cannot turn away now. If you pull the right strings, a puppet will dance any way you desire. The Dark Army needs to know what he's done. You understand the consequences. She's a terrorist. People are going to die! If we don't do anything, there'll be no coming back from this. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's an intense trailer. Yeah. All right, let's start out taking it slowly. We open it up with Tyrell saying, he made me shoot him. So we go right back, it seems, to the point that we wanted to hear most about what happened between Elliot and Tyrell in the shootout. And the big question here, Tyrell is saying, it was almost as if he was a different person. And clearly Angela's there because she remarks that sometimes he is a different person. And this goes to the whole relationship that Tyrell had established with Mr. Robot. He doesn't really know Elliot all that well. So that's going to be interesting for them to kind of meet for the first time. Tyrell is almost like a religious devout the way he follows Mr. Robot and the idea that he's put forth, how much faith he puts into him, the whole red wheelbarrow story he told us from his childhood. And Elliot is opposed to this now. He wants to stop it. He, he's going back to that feeling of guilt. He, he doesn't understand how this got so out of control. And he, he says stage two was never called off. You know, Mr. Robot's been going through with this the whole time. What scared me was after that, you hear Mr. Robot coming in saying, I am the architect of all of this, and I still have plenty of work to do in the background. There's music that almost sounds like the Psycho. Yeah. 
movie music, very scary to indicate this is the bad guy, perhaps? Well, to Elliot, he is the bad guy. Well, maybe not just to Elliot, but to the future of the world. And we wondered that. What is the plan here? Is this just destruction? Is there a plan for something better to put into its place after everything's over? That's true. I mean, we did discuss how after the phase one hack, it didn't just take down the 1%. Everyone was affected. People who had worked their whole lives, finally had a house, they had a mortgage. Everything that they've done is now erased. They have no record of how much they've already spent and paid off on Mm -hmm. the houses. They don't have a record of all the money that they've saved. Everything is in disarray. They haven't helped at all. Society's in shambles. The, The power grid isn't even functioning, right? There's rolling brownouts. Trash is piling up in the streets. There was bohemian marketplaces set up in the middle of the city last season where people could come and trade. It was really falling apart. And Elliot ends it by saying, there's going to be no coming back from this. You know, he wants to pull the plug on it, but both Mr. Robot and White Rose are telling him in this trailer, you can't do that. Yeah, It's too late for all of that. So the part where he says, where Elliot says she's a terrorist and people are going to die. Is he talking about White Rose? I believe so. Because that's going to get really intense once him and our other characters start to have more interaction with White Rose and we figure out what her master plan is. Angie also tells us this is going to be the end of E-Corp. So something happens that makes them believe they aren't going to come back from it this time. And it seems Darlene still thinks the DA is after them, her in particular, that she's going to be next. Well, I wonder how that ended with Darlene and the Dark Army and all of what she went through when she was caught by the FBI. We don't know how that left off. And Trenton and Mobley, who we saw at the end of the season thinking they were escaping, having a plan for undoing this entire hack. But, you know, then you get Leon walking up and it doesn't seem like they're going to be allowed to do that. Well, he is the protector. So is he there to protect them or is he there to protect Mr. Robot and the hack? Yeah. Keep this plan in place. Also, there was a quick clip. I'm wondering how this is going to play in. We didn't see a ton of Joanna in season two. There was some stuff building with her getting phone calls and messages, things being left for her. We wondered if that was Tyrell or if it was Elliot and how she was going to figure back into the bigger picture. We see White Rose saying a puppet will dance any way you you tell them to or something along the lines. Hmm. And then you see Joanna looking like she's on TV, you know, dressed up and, and looking nice. So um, her strings are being pulled, I think. Let's talk about season 3.0 and the episode titles. Now, we have what we believe are all 10 episode titles. And we didn't get this from Mr. Robot Official, so some of them may be wrong. The first three, I believe, were officially released and we can rely on those. So episode one is called PowerSaverMode.h. And Mr. Robot Aficionados meaning us and all the listeners, know that the clever episode naming is definitely symbolic to files and how they're named. No spaces are allowed. People use underscores. The dot H. Yeah, the extensions always have meaning. And as we go through each episode review, we will talk about each title, what the file name and extension means, and how we think this is symbolic to the Mr. Robot journey. And in this episode, I'll go through the first three. Dot H is an H file. It's a header file referenced by C, C++, or Objective-C source code documentation. It may contain variables, constants, 
and functions that are used by other files within a programming project. Hfiles allow commonly used functions to be written only once and referenced by other source files when needed. Now, I don't code in this language. I'm just a front-end developer, so I do HTML, JavaScript, CSS, but it's similar, uh, PHP. It's kind of similar to PHP with um, at imports. So let's say I'll break it down, something simplistic and totally different, but it's the theory is the same. If you're making a website and, you know, the header of a website with the menu is always the same mm-hmm. on every page, you don't want every HTML file to have a, the header code in it. Because let's say you wanted to change the name of one menu. You'd have to go through every file and change that name. Right. So this distinguishes them in a way, right. correct? So you use at import with PHP to say at import header.html or header.php. So that one file has your header code. So you change it once, and it'll change on all the HTML documents. This is very similar, but instead it's referencing a language or a function. So uh, not to get too deep into it, if you're using code within the body, it needs to know how to read that code. It needs to know what language it's using. So it always refers to the H file to say, oh, I'm speaking this language. This is how I'll translate it for the browser or such. Information that's deemed to be shared with other parts of the code. Exactly. It's like a a template file used by the program to generate new files. Now, how that relates, you know, sometimes the extensions are a little less relatable to the themes of the episode, but certainly the title and the one we get here is power saver mode. And we all know what that means when it comes to computer language, but I like to look up the way they literally define it. Because sometimes the wording in there, I think, is powerful to how it's going to relate to our characters. So they say it monitors your battery and upon reaching a certain percentage, will shut off certain features to keep the battery from draining too quickly. The one caveat, once the power saver shuts off features, it doesn't turn them back on once the battery has leveled back up. So I could definitely see how this might relate to Elliot. And I think the titles are going to go on representing the struggle between him and Mr. Robot. And one trying to take over the other, shut the one person down, keep them running in the background instead of being the main controller. It could also be that he has just been shot and he's close to death. So his body is in power saver mode. Mm -hmm. Basically, they're keeping the battery running. They're keeping it where you don't lose the information. And then once he's awake again, he's off power save mode, but some things aren't turned back on. The features aren't turned back on. Right. It's going to take a while. So that's really cool. But we're only guessing at this point. Oh, of course. That's why we're not going to go too far into the titles, because who knows? Episode two is called 3.1 underscore undo dot gz. A dot gz file is an archive file compressed by the standard GNU zip or gzip compression algorithm. It contains a compressed collection of one or more files and is commonly used on Unix operating systems for file compression. We all know what file compression is. You ever zip a file or a folder so that you can email it? It's the same concept, same idea. Well, an undo could mean any great number of things we're going to have to see once we get to that. Is it undoing the entire hack? Is that where it's going to come in? What Trenton and Mobley are trying to reverse? Or is it Elliot trying to undo Mr. Robot from his psyche? Mm-hmm. Or is it me designing and always using Command Z to undo <laughs> my mistakes? <laughs> episode 3 is called Episode 3.2, Legacy.so. 
SO is a shared library loaded by C and C++ programs when they start. It contains functions and other shared program logic used for loading common libraries into memory so multiple programs can use the same code base even though they run in separate operating system processes. Well, that's back to Elliot and his alters, right? And how much information do they share versus what are they yeah. kept in the dark about? Um, what's interesting there is it's paired with the legacy terminology, which a legacy system is an old method, technology, system, or application program. It's often used as a pejorative term, referencing a system as a legacy, meaning it paved the way for the standards that would follow it. It's now outdated. Right. So who, who is the outdated one? That's really the question, right? You know, who's taking over this season? For sure. We used to use that for people who did not embrace cascading style sheets, and they just used tables. And we say he's a legacy programmer. Hmm. So I will share with you what we think the titles will be from there on out. Don't hold us to that. And each episode, we'll go back into this in further detail and, and see how it relates. But for now, we think episode four is metadata part two. Episode five is runtime error. Six is kill process. Dot ink, which is include. Seven is Frederick and Tanya. I have no idea what that <laughs> means. Episode eight is Don't Delete Me. Oh, dear. Episode nine is Stage Three. Dot Torrent. Oh, and 10 is Shut Down. I could see a bad trend. Yeah. <laughs> now, Stage Three, Dot Torrent, real quick, just to go over that. We all know what a torrent file is, right? Let's say you're illegally downloading a movie that's in the theaters and you're doing it with torrent files. Basically, it's bits and pieces of the movie being downloaded to your computer from multiple users with those bits. Mm -hmm. So is stage three being activated from multiple people in multiple locations? That's how I read it. Well, and so then you could go to kill process, shutting down those signals. I mean, there's, there's going to definitely be a lot of back and forth again. That's what this indicates to me. If you go to MrRobot.com, there's a lot of videos that you can see. There's a nice video that plays season two kind of like in a breadcrumb catch-up type way just to remind you things. There's also interviews with all the main characters. We won't go through all of them, but I thought one that was really cool and we'd like to talk about is Rami Malek's. I think what we can expect in season three is that loyalties will be tested. Hello, friend. Our third season is really special in that the tone is a mix of the first and second season. When we go through a very fast-paced, plot-driven first season into a very intricate, layered second season, and then you layer in really great dark humor, it has made for a great evolution into what this show is, something that I think everyone's gonna be very excited by this year. Is everything to your specifications? Getting the opportunity to work with Bobby Cannavale for this third season has only upped our game. We wanted to bring in a very powerful actor, someone who has gravitas and can also bring levity to the show. Oh, good. We have a very dark show at times, and moments of levity that Bobby brings have such a strong impact because they strike such a great balance with how emotional and how chaotic and turbulent this show can be. There's something inside me that can't let go of what we started. In season three, Elliot is awake, figuratively and literally. Elliot's becoming more of a man. 
taking responsibility for his actions. Elliot, where are you? What's going on? He has found some way to live without Mr. Robot and is kind of torn about his existence without Mr. Robot and thus begins uh, some very existential questions for him. Elliot relies on Angela in season three to help him put the missing pieces of the puzzle back together. I think as he is evolving and maturing, he really invests in his childhood best friend. For the first time, we see Elliot less paranoid about who he can trust. From there, he thinks a very strong relationship is going to continue and evolve. These characters as a whole are relentlessly motivated and ambitious and the side they choose, whether it be good or evil, has no jurisdiction over what someone will do to get what they want. And that results in a very epic battle from each and every one of these characters. What you're telling me is Elliot is woke? Well, it seems like he may be <laughs> woke. <laughs> Which, by the way, Christina is wearing her hashtag woke Westworld CKC podcast t-shirt. <laughs> so Elliot told us a lot about how this season's going to start out there. For sure. We had speculated that he's going to be pushing, trying to push Mr. Robot to the side, but we thought Mr. Robot would win for a time, where it seems Elliot is winning. And, and doing away, Mr. Robot's fading away into the background. So that's going to be a really interesting twist for me. And he said, struggling with existential questions. So I, I'm really excited to see what that means. Yes. And I love the fact that he said it's a mixture of season one and season two. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying levity and comedy mixed with the dark. And I think that's something that we often said, and I, I just said it before too, that we become mentally drained. I think these bits of levity hopefully will help us with that mentality and the, the mental drain of it all. He also brought up Cannavale and uh, the no-nonsense used car salesman. Okay, so I was way off, I think, before. I was picturing him on the FBI side. Which that's he, the other new character. Oh, that's right. That okay, so I got mixed up. Pickwick. <laughs> so he's the one that's going to be... <laughs> yep, Pickwick. He's the one that's going to be, I guess, talking to Elliot. Seems like. And a new character introduced. I mean, I have some ideas behind that, but it's totally guesswork, so I'm not going to say much at this point. I wonder if he's going to be like the new Ray. So not necessarily central to the hack and the big theme, but important to Elliot's specific journey the way Ray was. It seems like that may be it in the little that we have seen. Well, and now I have to tell you, we missed out on some of the most exciting stuff that's only been happening in the last few days, but it was so cool to read about that I wanted to share some of it with you. And this comes from several articles, but mainly that on TV Guide. And this was the launch party for the fictional bank of eCoin that took place at the New York Comic Con on Thursday. Yes. Sounds like it was a crazy event staged to be fully immersive in the Mr. Robot world. Yeah. And let me real quick just give some background. We were trying to go to Comic-Con in New York. A couple months back, one of our clatchers, uh, Richard Clark, who is a comic artist and very talented. You guys should check him out on Twitter, at Zippy Rich. He had talked to us about meeting up with us in New York. And me being the guy that I am, I'm always half, I'm always doing so many things at once. I didn't put two and two together that he was talking about 
Comic-Con because <laughs> he's there doing signings. Yeah. So when I reached out to him again a couple weeks ago, he was like, oh, yeah, we'll meet at Comic-Con. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't put that together. I went to get tickets. They were sold out. He also said to try to get press passes, and we went through those steps. Because of our podcast, we they can get... They don't qualify us as press, though. I think it was so late <laughs> at this point of the game that they were only getting... They would only take... Because they're so full. Yeah. They're only going to take like the top news programs like Nerdist and all that. Yep. But next year, we will do it. It's so heartbreaking because we wanted to meet Richard and also Arjun Gupta, who is uh, an actor on The Magicians, who Magicians has been cast. on our podcast, yep. was going to be there. And we wanted to see him face to face. And now reading about the incredible events that took place here, just, man, this would have been so cool to experience. But at least we can read about it secondhand. They said the event was done up in style true to E-Corp, the villainous 80s-esque mega corporation, and started with... CEO Philip Price addressing the crowd of fans that were gathered for New York Comic-Con. Imagine being there while she tells you about this story. (laughs) Leading up to the season premiere, USA had been teasing fans with the E-Corp Ascendant, starting with a mini e-coin bank pop-up at San Diego Comic-Con, which included a mild escape room elements, leading to the reveal of photos from season three. But they went even bigger for New York, with a massive launch party decked out with a DJ spinning pop and 80s tunes, food that apparently was very decadent, and a blue carpet photo booth. All of this seemed to be setting up for a triumphant return for E-Corp, but F-Society wasn't about to let the soiree go uninterrupted. (laughs) On arriving, a small group of fans were ushered outside to the back of the venue. After interacting with a few society members in hoodies, they were taken to a bus completely covered by newspapers and emblazoned with F-Society banners. Their IDs were checked. They were taken to another van where they got to-go bags. There were fans dressed up in white shirts, decked out as E-Corp waiters with ties and aprons, and they were given backstage passes to help pretend they weren't secretly F-Society members, but that they were there to help E-Corp. So it was this whole fake infiltration that was put into place. They were then directed to a contact who took them to a mild escape room-esque type mission. They had to hack into Price's presentation that was being scheduled for the event and replace his launch with an animation of the F-Society mask. They were taken to a room to tape their F-Society manifesto, put their outfits on, enjoy food and drink before it kicked off for the full major event. And this was that E-Corp took the stage, starting with the senior vice president of marketing, urging them they would be forging ahead into a brighter future. There was a speech given by Price, which is very cool. You should definitely read all about it on this article. And the crux of it was that they were releasing E-Coin. The new currency, the new era, it would unite the world as one as they moved into a digital age. But of course, in the midst of that speech, the power started to blitz out, the lights turned red, the F Society logo came up on the screen, the E Corp banners were pulled to the floor, and then a video aired. The first look at the season three premiere. Oh, my goodness. So they say without any spoilers, it's a gangbusters return to form after what was arguably a sophomore slump, though their slump was still better than most of what's on TV. It was also extremely funny, relevant, and gets back to the spark of revolutionary spirit the first season captured perfectly. The fans are going to be extremely happy. That's very exciting. And I wish I could have been a part of that. It sounds amazing. It's so apropos, because if you think about it, as we've discussed, Mr. Robot makes the viewers part of what's going on with Elliot. Mm -hmm. He talks to us. He's going through it with us. 
He's not just breaking the fourth wall and just like winking at us. We're going through it with him. If you're at Comic-Con, you're literally going through it. They're putting you, you on a bus. living it. It was immersive. You're, it's amazing. They, they had, every one of them had masks inside of the bags they were given and they wow. were told to put them on because, you know, they were infiltrating this, this meeting. And then they get to see the season three premiere. I mean, that's the best part of it all, right? And everyone's very tight-lipped about it, luckily enough, because I don't want to get any spoilers, but they all just keep talking about how amazing it is. And if you were looking for a return to form from the feelings you got in season one, this delivers 100%. And that would have helped us because this week we will be doing an instant coffee episode. Now, unlike Game of Thrones, we're not going to be able to do every episode with an instant coffee. One... The show is on even later, and we do have real jobs to get to for the next day, <laughs> next morning. So we would be up till 3 a.m. doing these. But we're going to try to, every so often, do an instant coffee episode for the listeners. I think we can guarantee the important ones, meaning the season premiere and the season finale. Yeah. And then if there are other episodes throughout that are just need to be discussed yeah. immediately, then we'll, we'll give it as it comes. But certainly those two you can expect them for. And in case you're not familiar... Our regular coverage includes an episode each week. It's a full review cast talking about everything that happened in the episode, our thoughts, theories and predictions, any fun facts we can find about it, and the explanations of the titles, the extensions, the music notes. Hopefully a summary of anything you could be looking for when you come away from the episode and you're saying, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Somebody explain it to me. Now, I have to admit, we keep to a lot of factual information, whatever we can find out to help you out, but we do sprinkle that with our theories and predictions. That's part of the fun that we have in enjoying this season. So I know that's not going to be for everybody, but if that's partially what you're looking for, you will find that here. And we're going to end off this episode by talking about some potential theories for season three. Now, this is just going to touch upon some of them. Oh, yeah. There's, There's many. too many to talk about. Even if we try to discuss all the theories we've gone over in the past podcasts, that would be too much. But let's start off with some of the main ones. And we got a lot of this from websites such as Bustle.com, The Daily Beast, Reddit, Reddit, and Looper.com. One theory that is very interesting is the theory of cancer. It emerged from widespread speculation about what stage two of the plan concocted by the Dark Army and Mr. Robot might consist of. For most people, stage two simply sounds like a term used to describe the next step of a master plan. But a Reddit user noted the similarity to cancer terminology. Cancer is already a central element in the plot of Mr. Robot. Both Elliot's and Darlene's father and Angela's mother contracted the disease while working at a corp. Given the importance of cancer to the story of Mr. Robot and the prevalent use of the phrase stage two, it is not a stretch to think of the disease as a metaphor for the show itself. And we've already discussed Sam Esmo loves metaphors. And that there will be a episode titled potentially stage three later on. Yeah. As the Reddit user does point out, cancer has four stages. In stage one, the tumor is completely localized, situated in one organ, just as how in season one, F Society's hack was targeted specifically against E Corp. Or the fact that Mr. Robot was being kept almost completely separate from Elliot at that point in time. Mm. In stage two, the tumor begins to grow into the nearby tissue. Just as how in season two, the effects of F Society's hack has spread to start affecting things like currency and infrastructure. And Mr. Robot is affecting Elliot's very reality. They come head to head with each other. 
By stage 3, the tumor has grown quite large and has spread throughout the surrounding tissue and lymph nodes. In season 3, with the physical infrastructure in disrepair, societal structure will begin to crumble as what little faith the citizens have in their own government begins to dissipate, unable to even get their rations for food. Once the infrastructure collapses, it will be a sign that the lymph nodes have carried the cancer to the rest of the body. Elliot's all-out brawl and showdown with Mr. Robot. Now, I mean, this is much less a theory and more a proposed way to describe what's happening, a metaphor, symbology for the seasons, the show as a whole. So I think you could definitely look at it that way, and maybe it informs how you move forward with how the disease progresses uh, within Elliot and within society as a whole that might inform you on some things. Well, what if Elliot is the one with cancer and he's been in a hospital bed this whole time and this is all going on in his brain? Well, that would take you to a different theory, so don't go there yet because I have that one covered. Now, Sam Esmail has tweeted that, quote, I have an ending and it's about four or five seasons away, unquote. If Mr. Robot ends up running for five years, that's one season for each stage of cancer and then one final season for the official death of F-Society. Or rebuilding. Or possible rebirth. That's right. Now, that's very interesting and very intriguing. Now, we hope the Clatchers, throughout this, we're going to throw a bunch of theories at you. Don't get caught up in them or aggravated by them. This is supposed to be the fun part. Right. We're not trying to tell you to explain things or, or where it might go, just to tell you what's out there about the show and what some possible speculations are on it such as what you brought up, maybe none of it is real. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's all a dream. And so we've seen a lot of evidence of things taking place primarily in Elliot's mind, reality not being what it seems, losing track of reality and what's happening. We even see Elliot at certain points engaging in lucid dreaming so that he can go to other times and see what Mr. Robot's been up to. We talked about how this came up in the Ouroboros symbol that was found in season two, a symbol that's often taken to represent introspection, self-reflection, or this eternal cycle that just continues round and round, a snake eating its own tail, right? So that can represent the infinite nature of life and death, creation and destruction, which could parallel both Elliot's journey as well as what we're seeing in the, the larger world. And so that could take place on any number of levels, from some of it not being true to all of it not being true. Now, I don't think all of it being a dream is a direction that Esmail is going to no. take that's too easy and boring, but maybe it does play in in certain places in some ways. Now, on the other end of things, on the opposite extreme, you have it's all true and then some, <laughs> right? So these are the people that are saying maybe Elliot is actually a robot. Maybe the Washington Township plant was being used as experimentation and Elliot and Angela were both being experimented on and that's why they act so strangely and yeah. don't fit into the rest of society and that's where their parents come into play. And that's where the title, Mr. Robot, actually makes sense and the whole who is Mr. Mr. Robot. robot. So there's anything from that to time travel, being possible, which might sound wildly out of the realm of possibility until you start thinking about all of the many references that were put in, especially in season two. Yes, the Doctor Who theory. White Rose is a time lord. White Rose mentions alternate timelines. Some people have guessed this is why she's obsessed with time, and the constant beeping alerts that she gives to herself are reminders that she has to move back and forth between timelines before time runs out. 
She's been quoted saying, you hack people, I hack time. One Redditor said this would make sense. The first season, it was the main character himself we couldn't trust. The second season, it was the place, the reality. The third season, it will be time we can't trust. We got a lot of Back to the Future 2 references indicating movement through time. And we got the very end of season two showing Leon asking, do you have the time? (laughs) All of this can still seem pretty far-fetched, but then you look at one solid piece of information, and that's the rolling brownouts we've been experiencing. They force the E-Corp building with the paper records to use UPSs, which are then going to be used in the plan, at least, to blow up the building. But it could also hint that something is not as it seems, just like the red lights were used in the beginning of the season. When Angela visited her attorney and told her not to call again, there was a TV station playing in the background showing a newscast. After the brownout, this cast skipped back 15 seconds and repeated itself. Some fans think the brownouts are happening when extra energy is being used or diverted for time travel. Some think... It's the Dark Army's purpose, and they're using it to delay TV and radio transmissions by 15 seconds to keep themselves one small step ahead. But maybe it's not as far out as that, okay? So I've given you the extreme on one end, nothing it's real, it's all a dream. The extreme on the other end, it could all be real, (laughs) from robots to time travel to secret cover-up operations. There's something in the middle that they are calling... The Mandela Effect theory. And if you're not familiar, the Mandela Effect is an example of shared false memory. It happens because of the way our memories work, that we tend to confirm things as true based on the newest evidence we receive. And this can happen on a larger scale with collective false memories. So think about if TV, media, radio keeps feeding you the same new information over and over again. Even if you once knew that to not be true, if you start hearing it enough, there's an idea that people will begin to accept that as a new reality. And so maybe that's what some of our power players have been trying to do. And maybe that's why the changes in the news messages and the brownouts, that they're feeding the public only the information they want them to know to keep them controlled. And so E-Corp could be doing this. The Dark Army could be trying to stay a step ahead by getting their own messages out there. It isn't someone manipulating the very fabric of time and space, as we thought White Rose (laughs) might be doing, but rather our perception or the interpretation of it. Collective cognitive bias. We are all driven by the stories we believe, after all. Then we have other ones like Tyrell and Joanna are secret agents. This is similar to the Americans TV show, and they feel the vibe from Tyrell and Joanna in that their business-like relationship is one forged not of love, but for country or agency. In the Americans, viewers follow the exploits of two Russians raised by the KGB from childhood with the sole purpose of moving to America and blending in while actually remaining vital spies for the Russians. Supporters of this plot note the couple's frequent and unusual fervent allusions to a grand power scheme and family. Others point to their Scandinavian origin without any sort of backstory explaining their roots as a major red flag. Well, and it's always been a weird question of how do they fit in, especially Joanna and Tyrell's relationship with her. I mean, we see how Tyrell is starting to fit into the Elliot, Mr. Robot, bigger play going on. But mm-hmm. they, they continue to make Joanna relevant for a reason that we don't yet know. And I'm wondering if that teaser trailer of her being used as a puppet, you know, perhaps against the schemes that F Society, the Dark Army, White Rose, whoever is putting into play. Um, but it's White Rose herself that says the puppets can do what you want them to. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. 
Or how about the identity theory that Elliot has multiple demons? And that's a play on words. In the world of computers, there's a certain kind of program called a daemon, D-A-E-M-O-N, which runs as background processing rather than being under the direct control of a user. Now, remember that movie Identity from 2003 starring John Cusack? One of your favorite actors? I love That's one of my favorite movies. In it, a bunch of strangers arrive in one place only to be mysteriously murdered one at a time. Putting those two ideas together has led many fans to believe that Elliot has a bunch of demons or inner demons that run or act without his control. Spoiler on the movie Identity. The end of that is all of those people that are dying are personalities in the one man's brain as he's trying to reintegrate his split multiple personality disorder into one person. He is metaphorically killing them off one at a time. And there have been great parallels drawn to the struggle that's going on with Elliot. Now, Elliot's hacker crew is just his physical manifestation of his feelings. It's a clever take on the multiple personality disorder angle that logically follows the tenets of compartmentalization and repressive disassociative mental states. So they're all parts of Elliot's Mm -hmm. personality. Because I know for a while there was a big theory that Tyrell could be. And I was even starting to subscribe to that. So you got Elliot, Mr. Robot, and Tyrell. And there is often the three-facet thing that happens. But with dissociative identity disorder, there can be many personalities. It's not as common. People tend to think about that more often because of what's put forth in TV shows, movies, the media. But if that's what we're looking at, then I guess you would have to start thinking of a lot of different characters as potential alters of Elliot. Um, So I think you have to go back to your check-ins with reality there. So if other people know about the individual, chances are they're a real person in real life and not one of Elliot's alters. If you look at the FBI evidence board, somebody like Tyrell is up there with Mm -hmm. his own distinctive personality. He probably is, or at least was, at some point, a real person. So then people spin off into the, well, he could have died and Elliot assimilated him. But other people that are on that board probably aren't alters of Elliot. Agreed. But Mm. if you go full on with this identity theory, the FBI... Oh, even they're part of him. Oh, good Lord. Okay. (laughs) This is like a whole rabbit hole that is fun, but... Could get out of hand. Yeah. Evil Corp CEO Philip Price actually wanted the collapse to happen. In his mm. in this theory, Price knows that Tyrell and Elliot are both trying to hack into E Corp, thanks to White Rose, and works with Terry Colby as the fall guy for the attack in the first episode. Colby's in Price's inner circle of trust, but Tyrell isn't and wants the next big hack to happen so he can emerge from the dust and ashes as an I told you so, hero, and move up the corporate ladder or start his own company. I like the beginning part of that, that Philip Price meant for this to happen because of what we see in the season three trailer with him saying, none of these things happen unless I want them to. Mm -hmm. I am orchestrating all of this. Now, who knows how much of that is true or hubris or whatever, but clearly he believes it to be true. He's got his hands in lots of different things, right down to his relationship with White Rose. So that's something we had thought about throughout a lot of season two, and I still definitely subscribe to at least the first part. Yeah, so let's break it down. Elliot wants to redistribute wealth and eliminate debt because he's seen what that power and leverage can do to families. Definitely true. Price wants to prevent Tyrell from assuming power and has hired Angela as a bargaining chip to manipulate Elliot. Hmm, okay. So, you know... 
all of these have little grains of... And that, that, could be. that keeps coming back to who is Angela really and what team is she really playing for. So anytime you pull her into a theory, it starts to get more convoluted because we don't know where she lies. But um, I think you at least started out with, with Philip having a pulse beat on this, having a master plan, and he still believes it's going according to that. Then we have another completely different White Rose theory. And this is one where she is the owner of Evil Corp and has orchestrated the collapse to profit. The last time we see Philip Price talking to White Rose in season one, White Rose speaks about a liar that the Roman emperor, Nero, played as he watched Rome burn. Now, a lyre is a type of musical instrument. Very famous in the stories of Greek mythology. As the story goes, Nero purposely burned down Rome so he could rebuild. Connecting the dots, we can see that White Rose has a huge stake in Evil Corp and allowed Evil Corp to collapse so she can build something even bigger. It's possible White Rose represents an entity that controls both Evil Corp and the Dark Army. Yeah, well, we've also wondered at that for a long time because of her interactions with Philip Price and the way she seems to really be controlling him, whereas he thought they had an equal deal going on this whole time. We get the idea that she's actually been in charge of everything. We found out she's in charge of the Dark Army. She is manipulating tons of things behind the scenes. So can that stretch even further to encompass Ecorp? I definitely believe that it could. And there's tons more. I'm super excited for Mr. Robot Season 3.0, and it's only days away now. Yeah, it's going to premiere Wednesday, October 11th. 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Eastern right. time, our time. As mentioned before, CKC is going to be coming at you every week with the full episode review coverage and definitely for the season one premiere with an additional instant coffee cast. We'll probably get that up by 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to do it as quick as we can. I wish we could hack time. If you've been listening to us from the main CKC channel, you can still get all of your episodes downloaded that way. Or you can also look for the Mr. Robot specific channel and subscribe to that. Either way, please feel free to start sending in your comments. We love the Clatcher's comments via email, Twitter. It's going to be a big part of the Mr. Robot coverage. Speaking of Twitter, because it was such a hit for Game of Thrones, we're going to do MVP again. So after every episode, go to our Twitter page, at CKC Podcast, and we will have a poll where you can vote for your most valuable person for that episode. We haven't come up with... The lingo yet. We have our ratings from last season, uh, 1 to 10 robots, but we weren't doing MVP yet at this point, uh, at least not for this show. So we're going to have to think about it and let you know. Most valuable hacker. We'll figure it out. But if you're not following us on Twitter yet, now is definitely a good time to do that. Now, real quick, if you really enjoy what the CKC podcast does and the entertainment it brings you and the camaraderie that comes with it, we have our Patreon page where you can subscribe to get more content. And with your subscription, it helps us pay for the bandwidth. We have a lot of downloads per episode with this podcast, which is great news, but it also means it costs us more every month to our hosting company. By joining that, you don't only get more content and exclusive content from us, you help us out with paying for this cast. And it helps us keep all the TV review casts free, as they have been for Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones, Westworld, The Magicians. So Patreon has a few different levels available for you. You would all get access to exclusive community chat boards and... 10% off any Clatcher gear. And Jason has been doing a great job coming up with new designs for a lot of new Clatcher gear that you can check out. The next level up gives you a bonus cast once a month. And that covers a range of different fun facts. It's a little more casual and laid back than the episode reviews, but a lot of fun. 
And the final tier would give you a movie review cast once a month. Most of the times we go to the movie of your choice. We put a poll up on Patreon and we go see something that's hot in the movie theaters that month. Or occasionally we do throwbacks to classics from our childhood. So check that out at coffeeclatchcrew.com. There's a link to that. There's a link to our gear store there, the Patreon page. And the last thing that you can do to help us that doesn't cost you anything. We all shop on Amazon.com. By clicking our Amazon link on the homepage of coffeeclatchcrew.com, it sends you to Amazon. You do your regular shopping and Amazon kicks us back some money as a thanks for bringing you to Amazon. So what you can do is you click that ad. It's one extra click. You literally are going to go to coffeeclatchcrew.com instead of Amazon and click on that Amazon banner that you find on our homepage and then do your shopping like normal. Yeah, after you click on that banner, it'll bring you to the normal Amazon and then bookmark it. So you'll always have it there. doesn't cost you anything when you buy the stuff like you normally do. You just know you're helping us out. Well, doing this prepper got us really excited. I hope it helped to remind you of some of the big moments of season two, get you ready for season three. We are looking forward to this Wednesday. Thanks for being a Clatcher. Tell your friends about us and we'll see you on Wednesday. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.